Welcome to Comedy Centric, your place for all things comedy. Every week we'll discuss the legends and the people who built the business, the performers, writers, behind the scenes, and stories that you have never heard. So relax, take a load off, and join us for this episode of Comedy Centric. Now the host of your show, nationally headlining comedian, a woman with a wicked sense of humor and a killer Jersey accent, Julia Scotty. Heidi Ho. Hi. Hi. Why do you smile like that, Kathy Caldwell? Happy to be alive. Uh, are you really? You look taller in that seat. Did you? Are you sitting on a phone book or something? I grew. Oh, okay. You grew some. I'm gruesome. You no, gruesome. I guess I'm sitting on my foot. Oh, okay. Oh, see, now you look normal Wait, height. I know, but listen. Yeah. There, is that better? Uh, no, but okay. Uh, what's going on? How are you? I'm all right. I got. Uh, I have to get my garage door replaced. Oh. I, uh, I came home from. Uh, next week, I, I came home from a gig the other night. It was freezing, and I was, you know, like you got the clicker, and I'm, yeah. I'm clicking, and nothing's happening. Uh-huh. Nothing's happening, and I, I, you know, had a. Oh, that, that's a long story. Anyway, I'm getting a yeah. new door next. You had to next. lift it up manually. I know, and I hadn't. I've been here 15 years. I've never lifted that door up manually. Well, that's why it's broken. You haven't replaced it in 15 years. Oh, it's older than that. I've been been here 15. The door was like 45 years old. So, oh, it was time. Anyway. It's time for a new one. Yeah, no, I just hate spending the money. I know. Well, you hate spending the money for everything. I do. I'm cheap. <laughs> Anyway, what's going on question. with you? I, 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 I have a hypothetical question for you because okay. I was talking to a friend of mine and she told me this story. She's going to kill me for telling you this story. But she told me this story and I didn't I didn't know how I would react. And I want to know how you would react. Okay. So now she has been friends with this other person for a while and she goes to her house to stay to you know for a couple right. of days mm-hmm. it's a different town and the friend hands her her washcloth and a towel and says don't use the washcloth on your private parts and she just looked at her and was like are you serious and she was dead serious now what would you do um, would you well, leave? Me, what, what was her pro, what was her problem with that's what a washcloth is for? I don't know, but she didn't want her. Well, how is she gonna prove it? Is she gonna send it out to Corrupted. forensics and then you know look for little hairs? What <laughs> what kind of a what the hell is wrong with this woman? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with it, <clears> but I thought that was a re- but I would be offended enough. I think I'd be like, you know what, I'm cool. And I would pack up my stuff and I would leave. I would know. I would have taken the shower and used a whole bar of soap and clean my <laughs> ass with it. Just, <laughs> just said, yeah, no, I didn't use the washcloth on my private. But, but I use used something. You figure don't it use out. That soap. <laughs> uh, anyway, I thought that was a really bizarre. So you would have uh, gone home? You would have just turned around and went home? I think I would have been offended enough that I'd be like, you know what? I thought we knew each other better. And oh no, I would have spent the entire weekend bragging on him about it. You would have been just rubbing oh, your yeah. private parts oh, yeah. on everything. Well, <laughs> no, I've got a, I would have. I was, is this frying pan? Oh, you, you, know, you get off the lamp. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Jesus. I don't know. I anyway. Anyway, uh, all right. Let's talk about tonight's show. Uh, the good guest. Uh, we have a really good guest. Um, uh, Gabe Abelson, and again, all these people seem to go back to when I started comedy. I don't know anybody new. I only know people. No. I don't know you for 35, 40 years. I don't want to know you. But um, Gabe Abelson and I came, pretty much started out about the same time, around 1980. Mm -hmm. uh, He started out as a comic, Mm -hmm. but uh, he became successful, um, unlike me. He went on to become uh, the head monologue writer at uh, the, the Letterman Show for a year for a long time. He's nominated for five Emmys. I mean, he's he's really made a he's really done well as a writer, and he's on tonight. I'm really excited about it because I haven't seen him in. Oh, well. You okay? 
guest came up and I, My goodness. I was trying to suppress it, but it, No, you did a shitty job of suppressing uh, that. I didn't think you noticed. I didn't think you noticed it, but uh, so anyway, Gabe Abels will be with us. And I promise not to burp in his face while we're here. I'll make promises with me. All right. All right. So, uh, so we'll be back right after a short break and uh, we'll get to meet him. Hey, listen, my album, Julie Scotty Jersey Fresh, is available everywhere now. You can download it wherever you want. Everywhere. It's really kind of funny. It's like 10 bucks. Come on, buy the damn thing, will you? And also, uh, check out on the Dry Bar my comedy special dry bar comedy uh it's called julia scotty jersey fresh so you can it's my understanding that if you sign up for dry bar you can see it like a hundred thousand comics on there but you of course have to watch mine uh but you get a free month i think it's still going on like that so again my album primal cuts and my special on dry bar jersey fresh it's so simple come on do it do it for me. Do it for your mom. I love you. Bye. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're back. And, uh, well, I'm back. Kathy's having connection problems again. Uh, so we're trying to fix that. But um, but we're going to move ahead because that's the kind of a show we are. Nothing stops us. I feel like uh, we're, we're just moving. You know, we're like the, like the allies in World War II. I don't know what that means. Anyway, our guest tonight... Um, yeah. I go back again to the beginning of my comedy career, his too, and, and uh, to the old improv days. He is, um, well, of course, he's done a lot better than <laughs> Anyway, he's a five-time Emmy-nominated comedy writer uh, with credits at the Yin Yang, and we'll talk about them in, in just a little bit. Um, he's he's just a sweetheart. Uh, Gabe Abelson, where are you? Come, come here. I, I'm right here. How are you? Hi, how are you? Frame this up, but we got a light on the painting there. Well, what is that? Move your head so I can see. What is it? Some uh, some modern art crazy uh, poster deal. But, Did you uh, paint that? Is that you? No, your no, art? no. Oh, it's I a beautiful it. background. No, it really is nice. Oh, thanks. Except for that that light, which I'm trying to get rid of. But if I turn that off, I'm afraid we won't see. So, I know I have the same problem. If you look over my head, I look like I have a head. Don't worry about it. We're okay. Uh, which okay. Um, hi. Hi. Hi, Julia. How are you? I, it's been, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw you. It had to be. Oh, my gosh. It has to be the comic strip, and it's got to be close to 30 years ago. Yeah. And you, I swear to God, every time I see a picture of you, I go, that, that son of a bitch never gets older. <laughs> you look great. You look great. You really oh, look thanks. good. Thanks. So do you. You look great, too. I know. I haven't changed a bit. <laughs> Not at all. Not an iota. <laughs> Well, you just got back from Africa, didn't you? You were a uh, uh yeah, yeah. I was um um I was over there. I've been I've been yeah doing a lot of traveling lately, and I'm I plan to stay put for for quite a bit now. Was uh, that a vacation or just work? Yeah, work? yeah, yeah. Um, what could, well, you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, where'd you go? Um, I went to uh, Dakar, and then I went to a beautiful island off the coast called Cape Verde. I've heard of it. Okay. And uh, you were there for, but I mean, you were there for like a month, weren't you? Or close to it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, two weeks. I was there for two, two weeks. weeks. Okay. Yeah. Did, you, did you go by yourself or did you? Uh, I did. I did. I go pretty uh, much everywhere by myself now because no one wants to travel with me. Now, my kids are grown, you know, they have their own lives. And, uh, and so, yeah, and I'm single now. So I travel. It, it's it's weird, isn't it, that we look at our kids? They're like thirty in their thirties. It's like what? I can't it's possibly crazy. Be. When I think of how much younger I was when I started at the comic strip, it's it's just bizarre. It's very well, weird. It, it's one of the we've had a number of our colleagues are are that you know from our generation of comics on here. They all and and I always am curious about the you know the directions they take after stand up. Um, you you still do stand up, correct? But it's not your. No, I actually I do um, stand up, and I do more than that in terms of performance. I do a mentalism show now, mind reading show, mind reading, suggestion, persuasion, not hypnosis, but it's almost like waking hypnosis. It's really different. 
And obviously there's cool. elements to it, but it was something that I found as a hobby about 15 years ago. And about 10 years ago, I said, I want to do this on stage and I'm far more passionate about it than performing comedy. You know, I love teaching stand. I work with standups. I work with some very uh, high profile standups privately. And then I teach a writing for late night class at Flappers University. And at this point in my career, I, I think it's my favorite thing to do because I have I have students on almost every talk show on the air. And it's so great to have people come in not knowing how to do this because it's a very, very specific st- skill uh, um, related to stand up, but not like stand up. What, what are we talking about? Writing or, or yeah, writing for late night? Writing for okay, late night yeah. television. So that's okay. the class writing for late night TV. And being able to pass on, you know, what I've learned not only in 30 years in television, but 42 years in comedy, it's, it's, it's just very, re- very rewarding to turn out these people who are young enough to get the jobs that I don't get anymore. So, you know. Uh, I've heard fun. that. And I've heard that a, a couple of, from a couple of people about, you know, getting the jobs and, you know, almost feeling aged out of something. But we'll get to that in a second because I want to I'm gonna take a step back to the beginning. Uh, you and I started, I guess, the, the improv and the strip, and now the catch with they tore the building down, I think, a couple of days ago. Sad, very, very sad. But uh, it was a different, it was a different time for us. And I, and I always wonder was you, you, first of all, I was surprised to find that, that you studied under Lee Strasberg, studied acting. I, yeah. That I never knew. Um, that was that your original intent to, to it to was, be a- you know, now you can major in comedy at several universities. You couldn't do that back then. I kind of already knew I wanted to be a comic. So acting was the closest thing. So, uh, it was great. You know, my father taught at NYU. So I was, I got in there, uh, automatically. Um, and so I chose, you could choose your studio and I chose Strasburg. You could choose Strasburg, Stella Adler, Circle in the Square, Experimental Theater. I chose Strasburg, went there. And then I did a lot of radio commercials when I graduated because I do a lot of, or I did a lot of impressions. So I did a lot of sound alike uh, mm-hmm. commercials. But as soon as I graduated, I went up t- to the comic strip and I auditioned, you know, and then I kind of, I didn't look back. I did the commercials on the side, but I never really had this drive to pursue acting or theater or anything like that. It was always stand-up. And then late night was something that I totally backed into. Um, That's what Jeanette Barber said the same thing. She kind of, it was almost accidental that happened. It it was almost accidental. I mean, if I can, uh, uh, just briefly, uh, uh, Bill Maher's first show, Politically Incorrect, was in New York Mm -hmm. on Comedy Central. Right. And I was, I'd been doing stand-up for 14 years. Uh, and I got hired to do warm up and I did warm up. And one day I watched Bill's monologue and I don't know why it never hit me in all the years of watching Letterman or Carson. But I, I thought of a joke and I said to the EP, Scott Carter, who, you know, and I said, Scott, if I have an idea for a joke for Bill, well, how does that work? Do I tell you? Do I tell Bill? He said, well, we have a fax team. You know, you fax it early in the morning and it's kind of a thankless job. You'll be writing a lot of jokes. If you sell one, it's 50 bucks a joke. And Bill only does six jokes, and we look to our staff writers first. But if you want to try it, here's the number. So I wrote like 10 or 20 jokes the first day out of, out of the newspaper, and I sent them. And the very first night I tried it, three out of the six, the six jokes that Bill did were mine. Wow. They were half the monologue. So I thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, and so you know how humbling this business can be. So in the next night, nothing. The next night, nothing. So I thought, okay, it was a fluke. But then the next night, one, then the next night, three again, then two. And after a few weeks, Scott called me up and he said, we want to put you on retainer, meaning we're not hiring you as a staff writer, which is ironic because that's what brought me out to L.A. eventually was as a staff writer when it became a much bigger show on ABC. But I'd already had Letterman under my belt. You know, it's it's that that classic catch 22 of like trying to get into SAG. Well, you've never written for a TV show, so we can't hire you for politically incorrect, you know. So so I did this faxing and I was thrilled because already that was 94. The money had already gone down in the clubs by 94. Yeah. So yeah. now I was making this extra 400 a week doing this. And we had daytimes free as stand up. So I loved doing this. It was a skill I didn't know I had. And then they moved out to L.A. They cut the fax program for whatever reason. And I was doing a one-nighter with, uh, God rest her soul, Adrian Tolsch, who I know you know from stand-up, brilliant comedian. And I had my mm-hmm. packet with me. And I said, 
what do you think? Because her husband was the head monologue writer for Letterman, Bill Sheff. I said, what do you think? She said, these are really funny. Send them to Bill. And he gave me sort of the same talk that, hey, you know, it's kind of a thankless job. I got 13 factors here. It was a little more money. It was 75 because it was CBS. And I did the same thing. And the exact same thing happened after about a month or so. Bill called me up. He said, we want to put you on retainer. It was a little more. I think it was like five or 600. But it was the only late night show. And to this day, the only late night show I've ever worked on where there was only one monologue writer on staff. And that was Bill Sheff. Because, you know, he was Dave's best friend. They were extremely right. close. And he took it upon himself to make that his department. So he had about 13 factors. But none of the other writers wrote for monologue. It was his own little section. So when I knew there would no, be no room for me to get a job there, but I've never been one to plan my career. So one day out of the blue, Bill calls me after six months and he says, I'm leaving the show to write a book. Would you be interested in my job? And it was one of those, like, where you remember what you were wearing, where you were standing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I just worked the uh, Chuckle Hunt in Indianapolis. <laughs> I don't want to be head writer. For Come on, I'm very busy. Yeah. Who cares about going to the Emmys every year? You know. So, oh, um, so he said, "I just want you to know, there's four other guys on retainer, but I think you have a good shot. Dave really likes your stuff. You know, you're a comic." Um, and so I had the interview. I have a couple of stories about the interview, but uh, uh, it went well. You want to hear them? Okay, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one quick story. Okay. So before I get, I take the interview, Sheft was giving me some advice. And he said, look, he said, at some point, Dave is going to try and throw you off your game. He's out of nowhere. He's going to say something like, do you like red meat? Just to see how you roll with the punches, you know? So I said, okay, I'll make a mental note of that. And he never did that. All we talked about was comedy, really. And the very first thing he said to me when I walked in was, do you know Mitch Walters and Uncle Dirty? And of course, I knew oh both of God. them. Really yeah, well. right. Sure. <laughs> really well. I'd worked with both of them. And uh, and 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 um, so we talked about that. And then uh, and it, then, you know, a chef called me up a few days later and, and I and I got the gig. <laughs> this is another story there. But in any case, so I get the gig and um and I thought, well, that was really cool. He never tried to throw me off my game. And years later, you know, Tom Green is like one of my closest friends in the world. I was a head writer on his show, and he's so different than the person I thought he was. A after Letterman, he's probably the brightest, most creative person I've ever worked with in television. And I've worked with a lot of people. Uh, but Tom said to me only a few years ago, I said, you know, he never asked about, uh, never asked me that red meat thing to throw me off. And, he, and Tom said something so perceptive. He said, you know that question about, you know, Uncle Dirty and, and Mitch Walters? I said, yeah. He said, that was the red meat question. He said, you told me the other guys up for the job were not stand-ups. I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, that was the red meat question. And that landed wow. you the gig. Because he wanted to know, he wanted someone that, like Bill Sheft, who had been up there doing stand-up and knew what it was right. like to have their own ass on the line every night. So well, that's, I think that's cool. oh yeah. Like if we can zero in on that a little bit, because I can't even imagine. Uh, you're now you're the sole writer of the monologue of a network television show. You come into work the first day. Do you just throw up, or do you do you cry? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'll tell you what made my first day even worse. The day before my first day. And by the way, it was my first job. To this day, arguably my biggest job in TV. My very first job was head monologue writer for Letterman. So talk about being, being intimidated. So the night, before, the night before I start on the job, Princess Diana got killed. Oh, my and God. Now I, now Wait, I, I got to tell you this. You know where I was that night? I was in... Well, I was tell me in, you I were was, in the limo. I was in... No, I wasn't in... But I was in Wildwood, New Jersey at that Club Casbar. You're right in the monologue for Letterman. That's career-wise, that's where we were. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, uh, that's where I was too. That's how this business is. I was at the uh, the week I got Letterman after I already got it. I, I didn't cancel the weekend, but I was at the Callaloo Cafe for Gary in Grant. Morristown, in Morristown, yeah. In Morristown. Yeah, and the person I was on the show with was Gary Greenberg, who was a student of mine who ended up being the head writer for Jimmy Kimmel. And he's been there for like 15 years as the head writer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I should have hung out with you more. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, you know, the thing is, 
I never really found out who I was on stage, and that's everything. I mean, to watching your career skyrocket the way it has, and you figuring it out is just, that's what I always wanted to be able to do, but never quite got it. And I think that's why I found more success in writing for other people than writing for myself. That's an interesting point, because uh, prior, I had, you know, I went away for 10 years. I was away from comedy for 10 yeah. years. And, and uh, when I transitioned, that was the beginning of really understanding who I was on stage. And I, I used to, I used to yell at myself be, because I never felt like what I was doing was true. It just wasn't ringing true with me. And then once I was, I came back, uh, the, the two criteria, and I've said this before that I had, well, I had to be fearless and it had to be totally truthful. And that's, that's, um, it's a hard thing to get to. It sounds simple, but it's, it's very, very, yeah. but thank you yeah. for the kind words. I appreciate oh, that. Oh, you know, I love like hearing stuff from you. Uh, <laughs> so no, I think it's, I think it's, it's terrific. I mean, you know, it's, it's not somebody that, 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 that just started and isn't really ready for it and, and doesn't quite have it, you know, I mean, the fact that you did it and then quit for 10 years, it was very hard for me to get back into it and get my sea legs yeah. again and had this major success after coming back, after the time off, is just incredible to me. I mean, a really um, very impressive. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. I'm really happy. I, I just, uh, well, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about you while I got you here. So we'll talk. Well, you and I could talk off camera, but yeah, we'll talk. so you, you stay, um, you stay at Letterman for, for how long? For over uh, a decade? Almost five years, four and a half oh, years. Five years. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you leave on your own accord or you? No, uh, Bill came back to the show. Okay. And so he said to me when I left, which is true, he said, you know, once, excuse me, once you've worked here, especially being here as long as you have, because it's a revolving door in late night. Yeah. You only work in 13-week contracts. And you would know the names if I mentioned to you people that I saw work there for 13 weeks and then fired. And it can be, it has nothing to do with their work. I mean, people that went on to some really big stuff, just its personalities, politics, whatever. Right. Um, so once I got out of there, I did a couple of pilots for MTV in New York. And then I got an offer from Bill Maher's show out here. And that's what got me to L.A. 20, exactly 20 years ago. Uh, I, 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 I admire, I'm in awe of you being able to sustain a career, not just sustain it, but propel it forward uh, year after year writing for other people. Because I, I don't know that I could do that. Uh, writing for, I'm looking at the list of people you've, you know, you've written for. Uh, what did you do for Nathan Lane? Oh, when uh, Hillary Clinton, it's so it's so bizarre because, again, it makes how old does this make you feel? So in the year 2000, she had her 53rd birthday. That's what, which now sounds so young. To me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, and that's when she was running for the Senate. So it was a okay. Senate uh, campaign slash soft money fundraiser for her at Roseland Ballroom, right across the street from Letterman. Sure. So they yeah, okay. all the head writers of the New York shows. Um, uh, at that time, it was Conan and Daily Show, and uh, and it was produced by uh, uh, um, Miramax. And mm -hmm. so uh, Chef was also a writer on the show, as was Jeff Stilson, uh, Allison Silverman, a lot of, lot of major writers, uh, uh, um, uh, Jonathan Graff. Um, so... Uh, we all contributed towards, uh, there were a bunch of presenters over the course of the night, big, big stars, Tom Cruise, uh, uh, you know, and Nathan Lane and Chevy Chase, all these people. And so we wrote jokes for them. I also uh, helped write a sketch that Clinton did with Robert De Niro. That was unbelievable. Getting that must have been, is that on YouTube? Uh, no, the oh. whole thing was a, a private, yeah, private thing. Let me, let, I want to just sort of pause on that for a minute. You're given a, you're hired for this special. You, you and you're, you're given the task to write for X persons, let's say Nathan Lane in this case. What's the process behind that? Do you, do you get paired up with other writers? Are you in that room with an, in a, with other writers? saying, what do we write for Nathan Lane? Does Nathan come in and say, this is what I want? How does that work? Well, Nathan was basically emceeing the show. Um, okay. You know, it was just sort of a cavalcade of stars coming to the mic. 
So really, at least for me, when and every talk show I've worked on, when I'm writing just joke jokes, monologue type jokes or MC type jokes, that's sort of a solo job. It's when you're putting together like sketches for late night talk show or in this case, sketches for uh, uh, the players. Uh, that's when you kind of bounce stuff off each other and, and shoot across ideas. And then, um, you know, and then whoever the head writer is would put all of that together. Yeah, uh, uh, take the best lines or or the and the best angle or whatever, and put that all together for the sketch. Um, but to write like just wild lines for that, like I've been a, a head writer on a number of award shows too, and the writers just write their own jokes, and then I'll just put it together. You know, do you know who stuff. you're writing for at that point? You they tell you, uh, yeah. Which oh, okay, so you and so what do you do? You look, and I'm doing this because we do have comedians watching that watch this this podcast uh -huh. so i'm kind of borrowing your i'm picking your brain i kind of know some of these answers but maybe not so you're writing let's say you're writing for um uh the, the emmys let's say you're writing for the emmys all right mm -hmm. you're going to be you're writing for a presenter uh what's that what's that process do you talk to the presenter first and say uh you know sort of clear topics with them or do you just write topics or write the jokes and bring them to them more often than not, I, I mean, I may have one or two words with the presenter, but more just as often I don't have anything really um, for them. I'll just, uh, uh, you know, the, I'll write the lines um, and then uh, whether it's the head writer or it's the particular performer, um, we'll pick which ones they want to use. Obviously, I know what they're introducing. If they're, you know, doing an award for whatever, best cinematography, I might have a joke for a couple of the nominees and, you know, all of that gets folded into their, their part of the script. Okay. So how soon be, let's say the show is next week. You've written, you've written the jokes already, correct? They're, how far in advance do you get that assignment? Uh, it can be really fast. I've had to do it with like a one week turnaround to write an entire award show. Um, Sometimes, yeah, I know it's an, an insane. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, I've, sometimes I've had six weeks. Um, but yeah, sometimes everything has to be done in one week, and that's including, uh, um, you know, basically making an, a, a shooting script out of it. So you have all the all the act breaks, and you know who's introducing whom, and right. the stage directions as to where people stand. And so, yeah, I mean, sometimes that has to be done in a really short period of time. Wow, uh, you got my you have my admiration. What'd you do for Bill Hicks? You wrote for Bill Hicks? No, I never wrote for Bill Hicks. Oh, I performed. Oh, okay. with oh perform with Bill Hicks. Okay, I'm sorry, my yeah. bad. No, it's okay. Were I you on that level? Stuff. What? I said, I wish I could claim that I wrote all that brilliant material Bill used to do. <laughs> you should have just claimed it anyway. If people would, you know, uh, did, were you on the, were you at Letterman with, uh, after 9-11 or was that before? Your I time? was, I was with him on 9-11. Oh, yeah. can we talk about that, that coming back that night? Uh, yeah. What the hell was that like? Um, you know, everybody obviously was in total shock and, uh, uh, and, you know, Dave didn't uh, totally understandably didn't feel like doing a monologue because he thought it just felt too trivial. So he did that incredible monologue, uh, uh, you know, a serious monologue from behind the desk. And everybody sort of followed his path on that. He did such an incredible job with that. And it was a few nights before we went back into really doing a full monologue. Um, I but, remember that. Yeah. And he would test the water. Like, for instance, after two days, he said, OK, I might do one joke tonight, but I'm going to do it from behind the desk. Now, we used to have these sort of Dave used to have these templates that he liked. And one of them was the guy who stands outside the Ed Sullivan Theater, who every day on his way into work gives Dave the finger. There was no guy like that. But we, but it was a, it was the. Yeah. It was the setup for many, many jokes. Like, for instance, one of them in the summer was, uh, Paul, you know, there's a guy who stands outside the Ed Sullivan Theater, and every day on my way to work, he gives me the finger. You know this guy? And Paul Schaefer would go, yeah, yeah, I know the guy, Dave, I know the guy. He'd say, well, today, because uh, it's summer, he faxed me the finger from the Hamptons. So... <laughs> 
Oh, oh my god, you wrote that? That's a great no, no, joke. it's about, I don't remember who wrote it. It's a very Dave joke, though. Probably the boys, so I'll talk about later who wrote All the Carson. Right. But in any case, so the, the joke, the very first joke that he did back from uh, the um, you know, after 9 11, three nights later from behind the desk, because again, it felt too trivial to him to stand up in front, the, in front of an audience and tell jokes. So from behind the desk, he said, You know, it's great to see New Yorkers coming together during the most difficult time in our history. New Yorkers are just, everybody's supportive. In fact, there's a guy who stands outside the Ed Sullivan Theater. Paul, you know the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Every day I walk into work, he gives me the finger. Well, today, he gave me the finger and a hug. And a perfect you know, joke. Oh my God, that's a perfect joke. joke. Perfect oh. joke. You still have the edginess of him giving you the finger, yeah. the hug, being supportive, and that whole awe kind of reaction to it. Was that yours? So, Did you write that? Uh, it was not mine. No, it was not mine. Oh, um, that's, uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> right. So far, it's making him sound like I just I just took everybody. <laughs> I, I brought um, sandwiches. That's what I did. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my favorite one in terms of just a personal one that meant a lot to me. It wasn't the best joke I wrote necessarily, but when Dave had his heart surgery, he had the quintuple bypass. Right. And, you yeah. know, th that's a major operation. His father passed oh, I know. away at, you know, at a younger age. So no one knew if he'd make it back or what condition he'd be in. So when he made it back, he told a joke that night at the end of the monologue. And my joke was reprinted the next day in the New York Post like on page two and three going across the whole thing. Oh it was really my God. I hope you have that frame. Yeah, I, did, I, I have it. Uh, and, and the joke was um, um, uh, when I found out I needed a quintuple bypass, my entire career flashed before my eyes. And honestly, it was mostly awkward silences, <laughs> which once again, wouldn't work for anybody else. But for Letterman, right. it's, yeah. you know, self-deprecating. You can't get too self-deprecating with Dave. So uh, so that was fun. And, um, and then, uh, we, if we have a lot of comics watching, uh, one thing I do like to do is sort of briefly just tell you a monologue joke and deconstruct it and tell you how it's different from writing standup. Wonderful. Yeah, please do. So the main way a monologue joke gets written and it took me years. And this is why, even though my class is mostly standups, sometimes it, it, this, Sort of, it sort of short, short circuits what we've been taught. The worst thing you can do in writing a monologue joke is try to come up with a funny punchline. It doesn't work because uh, then you'll tend to go towards wordplay, and it's just not, it's just not going to hold together. The way you come up with a monologue joke is to find out what your main topic is and try to find an association to that topic that ties in in a perfect but very unusual and unexpected way. So, I mean, that formula is, is used in stand-up as well, but usually stand-up is more experiential. You go to the store, oh, that's funny, you got to write that down, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, something has to happen to you in life for you to think about it. With monologue jokes, half the joke is written for you because you're just taking it right out of the news, you know. It, it, it's um, interesting you mentioned that because I've only, I've, I've tried to deconstruct my own stuff so I could figure out how to, how to write more of it. And it's it's finally occurred to me that you know my 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 style whatever it is 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 kind of it parallels what you just said. I'll take the experience and just state it exactly. first, and then find some backdoor to get in. Right. Yeah. So here, so this was during the Clinton scandal, and so every night we close with a Monica Lewinsky joke. And remember, again, this was 25 years ago. Since then, Letterman has expressed, and I'm sure this is true of everybody that we wouldn't be doing Monica jokes right. today. It right. was it was victimizing some, you know, it was just not, but that's just how it was a different era, you know? So every night it was a joke and it was about the sex act and everybody knew what the sex act was. And so we didn't have to use any profanity, but because the audience knew exactly what was going on, it was a dirty joke that was clean enough for TV, therefore would get the biggest laugh. Dave was the most scientific in how he approached the monologue of anybody I've ever worked with in late night, because he would start with the closing joke, which was always a borderline blue joke. And then he would pair up, that was joke eight. He would pair up joke six and seven, then pair up joke four and five. And jokes one and two were usually throwaways, like, oh, I was walking through the park today and, you know, it's raining so hard, I saw a squirrel scotch guarding his nuts or something like that. Yeah, you know, some dumb throwaway, I know. And But there was an arc to it. There was a story arc to his monologue. You never saw Dave going, let's see what else is going on in the news. Yeah, that is the way, true. 
So many comics do that, and so many hosts do that. You never saw Dave do that. It was seamless. Yeah. Um, that is true. I, and now that you pointed out, you're absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. 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 He, so, the, so he would. So, so my, I want to be real specific about that. He would actually go pair up joke two with eight or whatever that formula you just gave me was. That was actually a, a um, an intentional. Um, no, I, we would do that sort of after the fact. I would, you know, it's almost like the uh, detective with the pushpins and the yarn right. trying to uh -huh. figure out a pattern. I would, I would try to find a way to make one flow into the others. I mean, the throwaways were obvious. Those would go at the beginning. A cab driver joke would follow walking through the park because it's New York. And then, you know, at that time, whether it was Clinton or Bush, I was at Letterman still for Bush's part of Bush's administration. It, it would be, let's say, one uh, joke three would be Bush and joke four would be Cheney. Um, so was he, was he involved in that? Once you wrote the jokes, was he involved with the position? Dave, Dave, you... Dave and I, yeah, we would go over the position. Yeah. And Dave obviously made the ultimate call of what he wanted. Right, but it right. was always clear that there was no, once we left rehearsal, it was clear what was the closing joke. There was never a, a up in the air about that. Um, yeah, yeah, the monologues were were always spot on. Yeah, they were. There was that. I loved. I loved the show. I mean, I, you know, and you, if you, especially if you're a comic, you'd have to love that show. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Did you get so, offers to go to Craig Ferguson after? Was that ever offered to you? Well, well yeah. Well, what happened was I, I was with Bill Maher till that show went off the air in '02, uh -huh. and this was at CBS Television City in Hollywood. They they shoot every network show, well, not every show, but they all network shoot there. Uh, right. And Bill was ABC. Uh, Dennis Miller was across the hall, which was HBO. And then down the hall was CBS Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. So by that time, I'd kind of gotten to know the head writer at Kilborn and the VP of late night programming there. Plus, it was produced by Letterman. So when uh, uh, Bill Maher show ended, I just went down the hall and started working at Craig Kilborn. No, I meant, then, did I say Kilborn? I meant Ferguson. Did you, were you? Were I was you, not, uh, I was gone not on that show. Okay. Just, just out of yeah. curiosity. I left All Kilborn right. to work with Tom Green. So I just wanted, can I just tell that one joke? Just sure. So, I can construct yeah, yeah. It. so okay. after Clinton got caught with Monica, two months later, he hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him in the White House. And I thought, well, that's just a typical politician's gesture. You know, look, I'm sorry. I have people coming to pray with. So, now I now I know I want to write a joke. Now I know where I want to get to. I know what it's going to, it's going to be about, you know, monologue doing what she did, uh, Monica doing what she did. In the beginning, I have something to work with, which is spiritual advisors. So now I'm working not on finding something funny, but on finding an association. So I, I go, let's see. They wear robes. Well, Monica had the blue dress with the DNA stain. Maybe there's a tie-in. Not that close. The wine, the way for confession. Maybe there's a confession. Clinton confessed, no, uh, they pray, they're on their knees, and that's that light bulb moment mm -hmm. when the joke is written. And now all I need to do is put the wording in the right place. For instance, the first way I wrote that punchline, the, the joke ended up being um, uh, President Clinton hired two spiritual advisors to come and pray with him every week at the White House. Great, just so we need more people in the Oval Office on their knees. There so it is, yeah, that was the closing joke, you know, and the audience knows what's going on. Big laugh, dirty joke, whatever. Now, the original way I wrote that joke is just what we need more people on their knees in the Oval Office. It would still get a laugh, but not as big a laugh because knees is the punch word and it must come last in the sentence. And because of that, the essential information in the setup has to be backloaded to the end of the setup. So we remember it when we hit the punch word after the punch line. So it's very formulaic. You know, if you're a formulaic stand-up, you're a hack. But in late night, you sort of have to be formulaic. That's why you hear the languaging again and again, like da-da-da-da-da, uh, or as we call it, blank. I mean, you see Conan do it, you right. see Fallon do it, you know, da-da-da-da. Apparently, you'll hear this language very uh, uh, over and over again, and there's a reason why it works. So there's really no such thing as being too formulaic in late night. That's interesting. And it's also interesting that you're saying that you, you couldn't trans, if you do it in as a stand-up, you're a hack. Um, yeah. And, and, I'm, and I, we don't have time for me to think that through <laughs> to, to challenge you. Saying, we don't have time to go through all the ways you're a hack, but no, 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 no. But the challenge that theory and I, and I, and I, um, and I have to really, I may, I may have to call you and argue with you on the phone over that one. Um, sure. 
Um, or maybe not. Maybe I'll just go and say you're absolutely right. But uh, it's an interesting. Oh, no, I'm, interesting. I'm up for a good argument anytime. No, I, I, um, uh, I'm trying to think of who would who, who does that in stand up that we know, even in the past. You know, an Alan King might have done it, uh, that formula with the, you know, the setup punch kind of thing. We don't yeah. do that anymore, though, because, right. because we'll right. be considered a hack. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, some people, you know, I mean, it's pretty much what Rodney did, and he told like 240 jokes an hour. My um, God, I was talking to someone about that. Uh, yeah, it, but you would never call Rodney a hack. Yeah, never, I would, no, anyway. I'm saying I don't think set up punchline uh, or one liner is necessarily hack at all. Um, I, you know, even you look at a guy like Jay London, you remember, you know, Jay London, right? <laughs> of course, I got haven't heard his name in a hundred years. Oh my god, yes, of course. I, I saw him in a movie the other night, a major motion picture. I don't remember what it was, but uh, I was like, oh wow. my god, that's Jay London. Uh, we have to explain to the audience who Jay London is. Yeah, so Jay London was a very – he looked like a member of a heavy metal band. He had, like, yeah. black hair he, down. Like the Gene Simmons kind of. Cut off chains. I mean, just yeah. looked like a dangerous character, yet was the kindest, most soft-spoken yes. guy. It yeah. was completely different than his image. And his jokes were – they were silly. They were one-line silly mm -hmm. jokes. Um, but but you could never call him a hack because just the whole way he weaved it together with that character was so original. There isn't another. It, it was like Rodney. I mean, Rodney pulled it off because exactly. Was, you know, it was a, exactly. Uh, yeah. So well, I'm sorry. What about Jay? You saw him in a movie, a new movie. Um, I saw uh, uh, in some. It was a movie or TV show, and I. I don't remember what it was. He played, I think he might've even been playing. Yeah. He was playing a standup. He was on stage. I don't remember. Wow. That, I don't remember. I mean, wow. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know, a guy who's persisted. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not saying it's the setup punchline thing, the tacky it's the, it's the fact that we use formulas over and over again. Um, Whether we know them or not. We, we no, I mean, be, for late night. For late, oh, use, for late night. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we use formulas night, yeah. over and over again, whereas in stand-up, we don't really, the good comics don't really use formulas. They write yeah. as they write, as things happen. Um, Did but you find that that habit transferred to you when you were doing stand-up, though, that you got in such, you were so used to writing that way that it became part of your, your own I found that it helped me tremendously uh, in terms of being more concise with my jokes. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about late night is all about being concise. Like there's no handbook. You know, I love teaching this stuff because I wish there had been a guy like me, not that I'm great, but just I'm, I'm freaking old who had been yeah. around that could tell me, no, don't write jokes that are more than three lines long and give them to a host. No, don't put that word here, you know, and that's really, I mean, the, the very small part of it. But what I do for my class is I teach them not just how to do this, what to do, but what not to do that can lose you, you know, the job, maybe one joke in your packet might be a red flag that could lose you the gig. So what um, I love about this interview with, and watching you is uh, the, the, the enthusiasm you have. It's so reminiscent of when we were young or young comics and we, we just had that fire. You, you still have that fire uh, with regard to, you know, writing. With regard to teaching. Teaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, so, it's wonderful to see. It's beautiful it. to see. Who uh, you talked about some of the people that that you've taught that have gone on? Do you want to name a couple of them? Yeah, I had my first Oscar winner this year. Actually, I've had wow. a few Emmy winners. I had my first Oscar winner. A uh, guy took my class out here at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. A great comic. I mean, I take no. I don't want to take any responsibility for how funny he is. Uh, his name is Trevon Free, and he took my class. And he pretty quickly afterward got a job on, I believe it was Daily Show. Then I think he was on Colbert. Then he went to Samantha B. And yeah, I didn't, I, I knew he was working in TV. I didn't know he had, was working in film, but he wrote a film called Two Distant Strangers, a short, and it won Best okay. Short at the Oscars this year. Wow. And a very heavy movie. It's going to sound bizarre, but it's, well, it is bizarre. It's basically, remember the gra uh, movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? Sure. 
So it's that, except it's the same African-American man who gets shot by the same white cop every day. Ooh. Yeah. What, Very, a, what a great idea. Yeah. yeah. And that won him the Oscar. So just, you should have got the Oscar just for the idea. Yeah. <laughs> a great idea. Why can't I think yeah. of shit like that? Um, wow. So, and so you, so, okay. So you're moving your, this is your, this is your future. This is where you belong. Do you see yourself doing anything outside of, you know, teaching now in terms of. Yeah. I mean, for the last three years, uh, there's a show on discovery called Josh Gates tonight. Josh is sort of the main guy on Discovery. He hosts a big show called Destination Unknown. Uh, Expedition Unknown, excuse me. And that's his main show. And then he has a talk show that follows a couple hours later. And so I write and produce. And actually, for the first time in my life, got to direct an episode of that this year. Uh, because I shot... Um, uh, there's a theme for each show. And this one was Secret Societies. And I belong to a small group of mentalists. Uh, and so I didn't know this, but the host of the show used to be a waiter at the Magic Castle. So he said, I would love to shoot there. And I said, well, you know, these mentalists, we don't really work the Magic Castle, but let's shoot it there. And I brought in some guys because mentalism is not visual. It's not like magic. And, and, right. and so not all of it plays well on TV, except for things like spoon bending, visual stuff. So uh -huh. I brought in uh, three mentalists and and uh, myself as well. I did something too, and we all did a demonstration and uh, in this one segment, in a, in a, a remote segment, a field piece. Is, is Farrington? He's doing straight magic, right, Glenn Farrington? Yeah, uh, yeah. He's not doing yep. the mentalism. Okay. Uh, yeah. That is so interesting that you 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 got into that. I would never in a hundred years have paired you with being a mentalist. It's a it's, it's fascinating. Sometimes I wonder, I mean, my father was a philosophy professor for 55 years at NYU. Uh -huh. Sometimes I wonder if maybe it's related to that because uh, it's the psychological stuff. It's the unknown. So all that stuff is fascinating to me. I'm the biggest skeptic in the world. But the uh, the demonstrations that I do that I would call uh, psychological bullying, where a person, uh -huh. let's say, makes a choice between 50 different things and I've predicted their choice. What they don't know is just through linguistics, through language, I've made them pick that one thing. And now you know I'm going to ask you for an example. I could only me. do it. If, I could only do it if I was there in the room with you. Oh, okay. All right, then. good. Because eighty-five percent of what I'm able to do is taken away. That's it's a very personal thing. And in order for me to do the persuasion suggestion thing, I, I have to be present. Unfortunately. So that's a it's not that different from stand up really. Uh, we we you know what we do is you know the persuasion thing as comedy. It is absolutely related. I think that has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. It's you know yeah. it's a, it, a, a, that's really a great uh, observation because when I started with Dave um you know I would get 300 jokes whatever Dave wouldn't want to read 300 so I'd pick like 75 of the ones I thought were the best. And then I would get the sheets back with the ones that he starred that he wanted me, Tony, to put on cue cards. And invariably, I would find ones that I, I knew were, were funnier than some of the ones he put picked. But I knew that those just struck Dave as funny. And that's why he right. won all the Emmys, is because he didn't try to cater to America. He did what he thought was funny. You know what I mean? So there were jokes that got nothing but that every comedy writer in America was probably going, that's brilliant. Like my favorite joke that Letterman ever did got nothing. And the joke was um, everybody in New York is sick with the flu. In fact, the two guys that wrote this joke got sick with the flu, had to go home and couldn't finish it. <laughs> that's a great Silence joke. in the Ed Sullivan Theater. And I'm backstage and we are just all losing it. I mean, I already knew the joke was going in there. <laughs> But the fact that it got nothing and is so damn funny that that an anti-joke basically name one other host, including Johnny Carson, who would ever have taken a chance with that joke. No, no, but you know his persona could do that. He could Absolutely. get away with that. And, yep. Uh, and, and even though Carson would acknowledge when a joke, you know, but he would do it in that. Oh, that's a uh, that one bomb, that Gleason kind of thing. Right. Dave. Dave's reactions. They were they were sincere. They were sincere. They were true. I mean, that's what made them so funny. Yeah, uh, and he did it that so sarcastically that you just go, "Ooh, I love it there." It's such a yeah. Good, yeah. good line. 
Well, yeah, I when, when, I've had that happen when when you hear something that you're writing, and and this happens to me all the time, and I'll try it out. You know Anita Wise, right? Of course, I love Anita. Okay, I love Anita too. She's my go-to buddy and uh, my traveling companion. I see that you guys work together a lot. Yeah, right? yeah. It makes me smile. Oh, it's she's the best, and uh, I I'll call her and I and I'll read her a joke, and I in my head I can hear it me doing it, and I know it's funny, but she goes. You know, and that Anita way. Well, that's that's good. You know, what what about if you did? <laughs> Why do you just tell me the joke sucks? You know, I don't think it does though. And I've had that happen where, uh, so every reaction from comics I respect was not great, but I kept working it because in my heart I felt it was funny. So to aspiring comics, to aspiring comedy writers, what's your advice? Do you, do they stick with it or do they abandon the joke and move on to something else? Definitely if they truly believe it. You know, it's funny, uh, uh, and uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying, ah, I don't think it matters that I say this. Um, I I uh, saw Rita Rudner on social media, and, uh, you know, I used to see her every night at the strip right. for years. Sure. Yeah. I haven't seen Anita, pro- uh, uh, not Anita, Rita, in probably longer than I haven't seen you. Right. And so I wrote her and I said, uh, you know, it, it's great to see you here. And I'm, I'm, you know, so happy for you and your career and your family. And I said, and I just want to thank you because you taught me a valuable lesson, which was even when I had just passed auditions, I was basically, uh, I mean, there were really no, not many open mics, but you know how it was. You passed auditions, no, sure. yeah. you pay uh-huh. your dues by hanging out till two in the morning. If there was any right. crowd left, you'd go on. And so I, I thanked her because I remember when Rita would come up with a new line, not only would she run it by guys like Seinfeld or Roger, whoever was, you know, senior at the club there, or, you know, Larry Miller or whatever, but she would even run it by guys like me that had just started. She, there was no ego at all. And what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And so I'll, that I'll tell really, you, Yeah, I'll tell you a Rita story. I, Rita and I used oh, to go, uh, yeah. we worked at Good Times. Remember Good uh-huh. Times on 3rd F? Most so anyway, appropriately my, named. my message to comics is stick with it and keep trying it out yeah. and get as much feedback as you can from other comics. Yeah. There may be yeah. one comic who can't write for his own act like me, but has a great idea for you, you know? So yes, yes. And, and get in writing groups too, because uh, I think we, Anita and I are in a group with a bunch of other comics too. And it's such a hell, you know, it's so supportive that, uh, and you could really collaborate. You could really knock it around. You could really dig, you know, dig deep on the, to find the joke if you're not, if it's not quite there. So yeah, it's a it's a great business we're in. I, I do I do believe we we're very lucky. We're, we're very lucky, lucky. That we survived. You know, we're particularly lucky we started when we did. I That's, agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Would you would you would you have started today if you? Had to do it over again. I, I, don't, I don't think I could have stuck with it because I mean I, I know comics that are so much more advanced than I was back then, and yet I was able to make a living, and they have to have day jobs. Not because I'm funnier; they're funnier. That's the that's the part that's so scary. Is there people that are much further along that have been doing it more years? Like let's say three, four years into my comedy career, I was barely making a living, and I wasn't that strong. But I see people that have been doing this now for 10 years that are very strong, but still have to have a day job because the clubs don't pay anything. You know? That, that is correct. Uh, but I think the thing that you... I'm trying to... I want to phrase this correctly. The thing that you have that they might not have is that they see the business side of it too. They see that this is this is a business, and you can't just you know, uh, wallow in your own genius. You have to, you have to show the world and you have to learn how to play the business, play the game, the business. Uh, I, I never could. I sucked at it. I, I was terrible at it. Same. Uh, and I, and Same. I know a lot of comics that were that way too, but you, but you, you asked the questions like you, uh, you asked, uh, 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 chef, Hey, well, if I wanted to get these jokes today, how do I do that? I never would have the nerve to do that, first of all. And it would never even occur to me to ask him because I would feel I like it was imposing. I mean, I, at that point, it wasn't a hard ask because I'd already been writing Mars stuff. So I knew I could do it. I'd already been there for probably right. three quarters of a year or something. And so I knew that this was something that I could do. And really, I learned very quickly. It was something that I could do better than stand up. 
Um, and again, and it was that's the diff That's a key to be able to admit to yourself that you could do something after well. 14 years of doing something I wanted to do since I was 14. So, you know, decades, I realized, holy shit, that's not what I was meant to do. This is what my strength. And so, you know, and, and now I believe it's teaching, you know, um, teaching is wonderful. I taught for 10 years. I, I, I totally get why you're it's doing the it. It's, it's the, and yeah, especially it really when I work with really advanced comics, like um, I work with, uh, and I'm, I definitely will not call it teaching. Do you know Emma Willman? Sure. I know her. Um, I Yes, I not well. I mean, I did a show in, in the city. Yeah, we've been her, working yeah. together for about seven or eight years already. And yeah, she's doing well. She's so damn funny. Yeah. way funnier than I could ever be. And it works so well because Emma's brilliantly funny and I'm the structure guy. And she's not, you know, she. I mean, she'll very open. She's not big on structure. So she came to me and whatever it was together, it's just, it's just so great. So much fun doing sessions with her. That's what, so you do, you work with individually as well as in class yeah, situations with individually comics? Okay. with people too. For both late night and well, why don't you tell tell people how to get a hold of you in case they want to? Um, um, well, people can always uh, reach out to me either on Instagram or Twitter uh, at Gableson, G-A-B-E-L-S-O-N, um, or they can email me at gabe.abelson, A-B-E-L-S-O-N, at gmail.com. And if you were, you know, a comic at any level, but particularly if you're looking to move to the next level, this is a guy you really want to get to know because he, you know, I don't know, let's take my word for it, but he's, you know what the hell he's done. You know, match your resume. Yeah. Oh, come on, Gabe. Why would I? <laughs> I, you know, you're, I, I love what you've done with your life and your career and your, and your daughter uh, just oh, got into. Uh, tell, and tell she's me. still waiting. I mean, she's not definitely going to even take that one. She's waiting to hear from UCLA and USC. Because those are even better schools. If she gets in there, she'll take that. And this is in addition to acting and modeling that she's been doing. She just decided two years ago, you know what? I think I want to um, take my LSATs, uh, LSATs, and uh, apply to law school. I was like, well, you know, that's a lot of work. She's like, yeah, I'll take a couple months. I was like, Samantha, two months, she takes her LSAT. She gets almost a perfect score. I mean, she's, my wife and I have talked about this. She get this from you? No. She get this from you? No. <laughs> she, well, don't say that because she got no, it. But it's think back to the stories that you were saying earlier on, the beginning of this interview, where you just realized you could do something. And that's yeah. what you did. You went ahead and did it. She's doing the same thing. So she does get it in part uh, from you. Yes. So so shut up. Well, thanks for saying that. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm going to come out to LA probably sometime this year. So let's get together for lunch or something. Absolutely. Like we must. Yeah, I'd love. I'd love to For hang sure. with you a little bit. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. And what? So, um, what was your Rita Rudner story? Oh yeah. So the no, that was basically the same. We used to uh, at good times. We would go. We'd do our show. You know, our sets there. Travel across town and just you know. And every morning, my phone would ring almost at the same time. Not a hello. Is this funny? You know. And and she's a hard worker. That's you know. Perfect. And she would yep. run the joke by me, uh, and it forced me to you know. To, to create too because i'm a lazy writer uh, i'm very i have to yeah i'm very very lazy but that's the uh, weirdest thing if i write three new jokes for my stand-up a year it's a lot and yet i can sit down and write 20 jokes right now on on topical stories nope you know easy see i couldn't do that for me it's i have you know my 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 um my standards are higher now because i've got I've got the two albums that I'm starting. I'm getting a little bit and a little bit of time of notoriety, so people want to, you know, they have, yeah, they expect a certain thing. But I, um, I'm always pushing myself to go higher, go deeper, and uh, and and impactful because I feel like I have a responsibility as a trans person, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the way people judge me, uh, and um, and and so I want to give them quality, you know. So, so. Anyway, thank yeah. you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, coming from you, I take that as a high compliment. So, oh, absolutely. And, no, well, like I said it's just that it, I'm having so much fun watching your careers. Nobody's more surprised than I am, Gabe. <laughs> I was not, this was not my intention to ever get back into stand up. It just, it just happened. So, uh, 
uh, the accidental uni universal energies coming together, you know. So, yeah, but yeah. I, I gotta thank you so much. It, one of the joys of doing this podcast is reuniting with people I haven't seen in so many years. But I always liked that you were you were one of those guys. You just just have this really s s swell way about you. Just a very good, good. Oh, shucks. Energy. Thanks. <laughs> I feel the same way about you. Thank I you do. So much. I feel the same way about you. You know, I never felt that you were someone with an agenda or anything like that. You were just a straight shooter and easy to talk to. And I was kind of shy, you know, so I was not like a mover shaker, this guy, that guy. So you were a person I always found easy to talk to. Oh, you, and, I, and I always looked at you and I go, he, he is, he's like, a, he's got this little boy quality about him that, you know, you just, you just, you want to hold him and go, it's okay. We're going to, we're going to get through this, you know. <laughs> So I, I thank you for that. And uh, I thank you for coming today. Absolutely. Was, uh, Thanks for having me. It's such a kick to see you again. Well, we'll, we'll hopefully next time it'll be in person. You get, if you come east, let me know. Yes, absolutely. Right. And right, let's, let's uh, talk on the phone sometime. Yes. I got I actually do have something I want to talk to you about anyway. So, yes. yeah, we'll do that. All right. I love you. Where'd he go? We cut him out? Oh, we, we cut you out. Oh, okay. I just want to tell you, I love you and thank you so much. And uh, well, I want you back too, okay? Awesome. Love you too, right. Julia. Good Thanks to see you. Bye-bye. Love Great you. Bye. You. Bye. <laughs> what, a, uh, what, a, what a nice man he is. I know you had some technical difficulties. I know. Uh, I... Uh, you know for, I know, but we're, we're working on That's what you get when you live on... I know I live, live on Walnut Mountain and Walton's Mountain. Walton's Walton, Mountain. Walton's Mountain. Yeah. So uh all right. Well, so we're gonna I'm before we go. But, but I have questions for you. Are you smarter than a 70-year-old? Mm, okay, go ahead. All right, you don't even have help tonight. So I know I'm you all help. on my own. All right, you ready? On my own. You ready? You ready? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Uh -huh. Here we go. True or false? We'll start with true or false. I want to false. warm you up as to not stretch it's a false. muscle. True. Okay, go ahead. You have a 50-50 shot, sister. All right, true or false? Eggplant is a vegetable. Uh, it's not a fruit. True. False. What is it? Well, that I don't. I knew you were going to ask me that. It's not. Well, a then what the hell do you get a question like that for? Well, without... I only know true or false. I don't know if it's like what it Holy is. Holy shit! You, you know what? Right. I knew you were going to ask me that. Then why did you get the answer? Shut up! I'm getting. You know how much eggplant I eat. You know how much I love it. You know what the Italian word for eggplant is? What? Melanzane. Melanzane. This is really, truly exciting, exciting watching. I can't, I think our numbers are going to skyrocket. It's a fruit. It's a fruit. Is it really a fruit? You're okay. a fruit. It's a hey. fruit. Everybody's hey. a fruit fruit. Hey, you're a, yeah. Ooh, right. go ahead. Next question. What is the most expensive spice by weight? Oh, uh, I know this too. Uh, Do you? Yeah, it's called the. Uh, oh God, I had it was right on the tip of my tongue too. Uh, oh, oh! I'm gonna come back to that. All right, give me the next one. All right, next question: What language does not use gender as part of their grammar? Farsi. Uh. The uh, Japanese, uh, Hebrew, uh, gobble, 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 gobble. Turkey, Turkish, <laughs> Turkish. Okay. Exactly. All right. All right. I did give you a clue there. All right. It Two did. more questions. Here you go. You, you were a pilot in flight systems. What do the initials T C A S mean? T C A S. In flight systems, with the initials T C A S, T is in Tom, C is in Cat, A is in astronomical. And the S A S stands. The A S stands for airspeed. No. Um, no. Uh, T C A S. 
true course. Is that partly right? Is that part of the answer? True no. course. This is why you were not a good pilot. <laughs> I wasn't a good pilot. I got lost a lot. Traffic collision avoidance system. Oh, I didn't have that on my planes. I flew little single saying... engines. All right. Last question, and then we'll follow up with it. Saffron. Saffron. That's it. That's right. Thank that you. is okay. the most expensive spice. Okay, last question. What band... What was banned in Indonesia for, quote, stimulating passion? Chewing gum. No. No. Uh, Friends, the TV show Friends. No. Um, Although no one could resist Joey. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was banned for stimulating? You said Bill Cosby. Date, dating Bill Cosby. All right. No. The hula no. hoop. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. There right. you go. That's your five questions. All right. So how did I do? I got one. You got one. You, you screwed I up. I could have gotten the eggplant one because I said this is a fruit. Saffron. Yeah, I said it's a fruit. You didn't I get turkey. You didn't get the, the uh, traffic collision. And you didn't Avoid get the system. Hulu. All right. I'm, I'm an idiot. Okay. So uh, there. You're not, you're not real bright. Okay. I also haven't eaten my dinner yet. So uh, All right. well, go, we're, eat, we're gonna... go eat your saffron. And your turkey. Adieu. Adieu. All right. All right, kiddos. All right, people. We'll yes. see you on the next uh, episode uh, when we will have as our guest somebody. We're interview the hound. That's right. We're going to interview the hound. Adios, amigos. Hey, 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 hey. Ay, 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 